Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Content Confessions. Coming at you on a Wednesday, August 11th, 2021. You already know who it is. Stone Samurai, a.k.a. Hirsch. Joined always by my brother, Steve, a.k.a. Stu. Stu, how you doing? Hey, Hirsch. How's it going, man? I'm doing all right. Um, not too bad over here on this end. Um, unfortunately, we were not able to rec- record yesterday. Um, just a mixture of some uh, personal stuff going on. Um, and uh, just weren't able to, to make the cut. But we are coming to you today. And uh, it will be another freestyle episode. Um, we weren't quite able to uh, get the notes and get our presentation ready for the Operation Condor episode that we had been talking about. And again, that comes down to um, just a couple personal things coming up. Uh, this past weekend, for example, one of the things that kind of hindered a lot of my research on my end was I had a bachelor party. So, um, because of that, in the day to recover, I uh, I was not able to do my due diligence. So for that, I do apologize. Um, but again, today's episode will be another freestyle one. I know my brother had a few things that he wanted to talk about today. Um, we're also going to be getting to um, uh, some NFL news as well as talking about everybody's favorite topic. And no, I'm not talking about Snuggies. Hate to burst your bubble. I'm talking about remakes. Uh, we're going to be having a part coming up this episode where we're talking about remakes. One in particular that kind of got me uh, uh, my gears grinded, if you will. Uh, but with all that being said, I'm going to turn it over to my brother, Stu. Because I know he has a few things he wanted to uh, to get a hold of in the beginning of the episode. Yeah, just to start out, I wanted to reiterate, like Hirsch was saying, sorry, it's not the normal uh, Latin America episode this week. We are going to be covering Operation Condor next. We wanted a little bit more time to research that. And like Hirsch was saying, we had a little bit of a fun event that went on the last weekend that we wanted to, you know, just kind of relax, chill out. So the usual time that I would have been researching, at least, was kind of taken up with a little bit of that. Um, but that's besides the point. So we are going to do just another fun episode this week. A couple things just, uh, either recently that were going on that we've either seen or, or wanted to talk about. Um, Hirsch, I know we had talked about, um, the He-Man remake. Uh, we're going to get to the other re- reboots and that kind of thing too, in just a moment. But one of the things that I had checked out a couple of weeks back, I actually meant to talk about it on the last episode and I'm glad we got a chance to kind of talk about it again while it was still a bit fresh in my mind is the new he-man series that's on netflix and hirsch i i grew up watching he-man i had all the fucking toys you know it was one of the few things that dad actually i think enjoyed at the same time and so he kind of indulged me a little bit more than he probably should have as far as getting different things whether it was toys or the i mean like the action figures or the bases or even like the vehicles and all that kind of thing like I pretty much had it all when it came to He-Man. I was pretty spoiled in that regard. Um, I remember me and him went to go see the movie with Dolph Lundgren when it came out, like back in like the late 80s, I think, or early 90s maybe. It was a terrible movie, by the way. Even as a kid, I knew it was terrible and didn't like it that much. But <laughs> I pretended like I was having fun because me and dad were going to a movie, you know? Yeah. Well, and you so, didn't want to make him upset. Like, I just fucking wasted all this money for, for you know. <laughs> Yeah, but you remember a couple of times when dad would take you to a movie and like part of the way through, he'd give you that look. 
Like, yeah, like, what the fuck are we doing here? Yeah, like, what the fuck are we doing here, man? Like, I know I'm a dad and I have to take my kids to stuff, but even this is a little bit over the line. Like, I remember feeling that way and, and like, sharing that look with him during that movie. <laughs> yeah. But before I get into it, because I'm all He-Man fanboy from way back in the day, and my nostalgia plays a big factor, um, you had mentioned you at least got to check out part of it. What, what did you think? You know, when I when I went into it, I tried doing that thing everybody tells himself, like, I'm going to go into it with an open mind, man. Um, but but truth be told, I, I went into it with um, kind of expecting the way that remakes have kind of been taking place now where they they take the sentiment of it and just kind of like change it into what they want. I liked it. I thought the animation style was really good. I thought that the uh, the voice acting that they chose for it, and I'll, I'll let you get into it, because I know how excited you are about this, so I want to try to let you um, get out some of your emotion. Um, but I, but overall, I thought that it, it was a really nice, uh, refreshing thing to see as far as uh, remakes or reboots are concerned. No, absolutely. I, I 100% agree, and uh, I am glad to hear that you liked it, because I was worried that I was just going to be playing defender the whole time if you had said anything you know like opposite or whatever which would have been fine but i would have felt a little bit on the defensive because i really enjoyed it as um somebody who grew up watching the cartoon playing with all the toys going to see the terrible movie and they had a remake back in like the late 90s maybe early 2000s that came out i want to say on cartoon network that was pretty good but didn't last very long i don't remember a whole lot about it unfortunately but yeah, see, I don't I even remember. I, I don't even remember seeing anything for that. Like you like, saying that, I, I like there's something that bumps in my head, but I just I can't remember if I ever well, like, seen it. But what I remember, I remember watching it like really, really late at night and a couple episodes at a time. So I think it was one of those things that they were really excited about, and then it didn't kind of end up working, and so they kind of buried it. But. Mm. I remember hearing about a year or so, maybe two years ago, who knows anymore how time works, but that Kevin Smith was working on a remake of He-Man. And I got really excited because, you know, say what you will about Kevin Smith and some of his later stuff. I've, I've for as a rule, tend to enjoy his stuff, you know, whether it's the old school clerks kind of thing or, or dogma, especially um, even the most recent one. I thought the clerks, uh, you know, the Jay and Silent Bob like finale bringing their kids into it and stuff like that. I thought it was kind of cool, yeah. but yeah, I was no. that Kevin Smith was involved. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I think, I think with Kevin Smith, you know, as you said, people can have their opinions on him, but I will say, I really do appreciate not only what he's done um, for like weed culture. Right. Cause like he was obviously with like Jane sign the Bob, they're always getting high and all that stuff. And, you know, people, especially some of our younger audience today. Um, obviously, a lot more people are inclined to a positive notion towards, you know, smoking. Um, but back then, if you smoked weed, people would, you know, it, it was a stereotypical, you know, you're a loser, you can't do anything, you're wasting your time. Um, and he was somebody who was able to uh, kind of say fuck you to that mentality and say like you know what I smoke weed I smoke a lot of it and I'm pretty fucking successful so eat a dick um, I loved him for that but then also just for reinforcing uh, nerd culture and making people understand that 
it's okay to get really excited about nerdy stuff that people might roll their fucking eyes when you start talking about it. Like, it's cool to be that nerdy guy that's like, yo, have you read that new Batman comic yet? Like, it's okay to do that. And I and I really do appreciate what he's done work-wise uh, in the industry for that. No, and that's why I was excited that if anybody was going to re- be remaking it, that it was at least somebody like like Kevin Smith, like you said, who who is a fan himself and is going to try to go about it the best way possible. And... I just thought it was put in a good hands and I was very excited. Like you said, the voice talent was very fantastic. Um, you have Sam Michelle Geller who plays Tila or who voice acts Tila, who is one of He-Man's friends or, you know, associates from the old school. Like, I don't know, maybe I should do a little bit of a primer of like what the old show was like, because the, the remake kind of picks up like automatically kind of takes you takes for granted that you kind of know what He-Man was about before and maybe what had come before this. Tila doesn't know He-Man's secret, so Sir Michelle Geller gets to kind of play a character who, you know, was kind of taken by surprise by this whole thing and she does a very good job. Then you have Mark <laughs> Mark Hamill actually playing Skeletor. And if you notice he sounds a little bit like Joker from uh the old Batman animated series. He has a little bit of that creep in every now and then. Yeah, for sure. The ha ha Yeah. And, you know, other voice talent that was in there, like I know the guy who played Orko, who was like, you know, the little wizard guy, he, uh, mm-hmm. that's Griffin Newman. He actually hosts or co-hosts a podcast that I listen to a lot called Blank Check. So he had been talking about it in the past, getting to work on it and that kind of thing. But that was all before COVID. So I think that's part of the reason it got delayed. You had mentioned the animation style. It kind of reminded me of, I don't know, speaking of another thing that, that wrapped up recently is, I don't know if, we're, if you've ever watched the Castlevania series that comes on netflix um i I think i watched like one or two episodes it it was a show that always said that i wanted to go back and watch but i i never did it's one of those things that improved a lot like beyond the first season was actually just a movie they split into a couple pieces essentially um but they just finished up the fourth season um and the final season very recently and it was really good but the animation style reminded me of that like very smooth a lot of action that was very well done um you know, not your old school He-Man animation where it was kind of, you know, not very good, to be honest. So they did a much better. Go ahead. No, no, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. You're good. Go ahead. No, I was going to say they did a much better job with it than I would have expected. Well, and the thing is, too, right, like a, a lot of times with the reboots and the remakes that we see, it's usually just some like corporate fucking hack director or, you know, the the hot director or the hot producer that comes up and they, you know, they're like, Oh, well you've done really good with this series. Let's throw you into something that you have no idea about. Um, <laughs> Double dragon from the nineties. <laughs> um, <laughs> by the way, we watched that recently in my discord. It was quite the experience. Um, but the, but the thing that I, I realized was good about the human. And again, I only got to watch a little bit of it. Uh, I realized that when, when you're watching it, you get to have the appreciation and you get to see that it is a fan. Like, a, a fan actually was partaking in this. And they were able to instill that feeling of watching it for the first time, right? Because, like, He-Man was more your era, but because of your obsession, there were still remnants of it that echoed through into my childhood. And so, like, I, I watched some of the VHS tapes and stuff like that, but it didn't, I didn't quite absorb it because it wasn't something that I got to see the experience and was blossomed into it. But 
watching this reboot, it, it, it kind of had that moment and hearing those voices, like you said, Mark Hamill, who was a major influence on my childhood, Sarah Michelle Geller, major influences, not just on my childhood and upbringing, but yours as well. Right. Mm-hmm. Like totally. everybody, everybody remembers her for whatever reason. Right. Some of us for more sinister reasons, but I digress. Um, and I think with with someone like Kevin Smith or just fans in general, that's why you saw the success of something like Mandalorian, right? Because it was it wasn't just some Disney producer or Disney director that came in and started working on this uh, this IP. It was somebody who loved watching the movies when he was younger. Somebody who was absorbed within the universe. And anytime that you can get somebody who's actually passionate about it. Um, it's trying to in the work, whether it's, you know, it can be, it can be something all the way from like a line cook all the way up to a director. Uh, the, what, what's the old adage? The proof is in the pudding. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's very much so evident uh, in just the few episodes I had watched. Um, and I'm, I'm excited to watch a little bit more. I'm kind of hoping I can get Nikki into it, to be honest. Yeah. And, and first of all, I just want to apologize. I, I had to say a really quick, last good night to my two-year-old there so sorry that she was shouting towards the mic at the end there um i do apologize immensely for that everybody but like you can definitely tell that a lot of 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 thought went into this remake it wasn't just done you know for the cash grab um the quality is definitely there and you don't have to be nostalgic for the series to to enjoy it and i just want to issue a quick spoiler warning because we are going to talk a little bit about what happens in the series a little bit at least uh i'm going to ask kirsch how far along he is that kind of thing so i don't want to spoil anything too much for anybody but that first episode hirsch uh really took me back took me aback because they basically kill off he-man yeah and it's not going to really be about he-man and so, i like that yeah i thought that was a really cool thing like it um it took me by surprise I can see how a lot of people would have reacted badly to that, especially, you know, like fanboy culture and the idea that, oh, Tila is going to be the main character in the show. It's all this SJW nonsense. Uh, I can definitely see probably why it has a low like fan score on like Metacritic and shit like that is because of that. But the critic uh, reaction overall is much more positive and probably for good reason. So I can definitely see that. Go ahead. No, 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 you're fine. I'm sorry. I keep cutting you off. My bad. No, I was going to say, I can definitely see that fanboy reaction happening, especially, you know, in the first episode, you're going to kill He-Man off. But it's basically laying the groundwork that the previous show is all you need to know to have had with He-Man to, to understand what's going on. Well, yeah, it's something uh, after after I watched that first episode, I was like, how the fuck are they going to do this? And. Um, I'll try to find the YouTube video and send it to you after we record, Stu. Um, <clears throat> but I was trying to understand. But like you're saying, uh, what what happened in this in, in this remake is uh, something that it necessarily wasn't implied, but it was just something that you were coming to the understanding that, um, you know, He-Man was a master of the universe, but he wasn't the only one, right? And throughout that show you end up learning of, you know, different things. Um, I'm not, again, I don't want to spoil anything for people who want to go back and maybe absorb it for the first time. Um, but I think 
the thing that I enjoyed about it most was, you know, I'd been, we had talked about this, uh, this past weekend, uh, about the Marvel. I, I think you were still there at least. Um, the Marvel's universe and the movies that they've been doing, um, in the series, it's great. Uh, especially for fellow geeks and nerds that have been waiting for ages to finally have CGI technology, uh, to match with some of the storyline and some of the characters. However, and this was something I said on the weekend, and I'm going to read it right now. I'm kind of tired of seeing Spider-Man. I'm tired of Hulk. I'm tired of Iron Man. I'm tired of Thor. I'm tired of Loki. These are all characters that I have known and been around and been exposed to for a very long time. And as much as I do love those characters, just like with life, they aren't they shouldn't be there forever. And I'm actually really excited to see how exactly uh, the new storyline is going to come through. And again, like you said, there's going to be a lot of this sentiment like, oh, this is just more SJW propaganda. Look, art and entertainment is reflective of society, right? Like if you ever want to get an idea of what it was like to live in that time, the best way to do that is to absorb art, whether it be paintings, whether it be poetry, whether it be stories, movies, music, you name it. And the reason we are seeing more movies with female leads, the reason we're seeing more games with female leads and with people who are um, either queer or bisexual, whatever, whatever the case is, um, the reason we're seeing that is because it's a reflection of the society and the time that we're living in now. It's not about um, pushing an agenda, right? And people can say it's propaganda, but like, if we're going to use those kind of terms, like in that case, everything's fucking propaganda, right? So, well, I especially think- like what makes it powerful is uh, sorry to cut you off. What makes it powerful is that it's He Man that, that's doing this, right? Like He Man is that that hyper masculine embodiment of like what boys are supposed to want to grow up and look like. And for them to twist that in the in the best way, I think, and make it so that it's about Tila, was a was a great thing to do. No, I, I and I agree, and I love I love that understanding because the thing is, people can say all they want to. Oh, it's just a fucking movie, or oh, it's just a show, whatever. And and there may be some truth to it, but shoe on the other foot. Movies and and, and art in general reinforce people's inspirations, motivations, confidence. And for people to be able to have a story or to have um, heroes that it doesn't really necessarily matter if it's a uh, woman or a man doing it. It's about the characteristics and uh, what they represent that's more important. And I think that's an important shift because I think, um, not to stray too far off, but uh, the perfect example is that now more than ever, we see people that we idolize and people that we um, stand for, for lack of better terms. Um, get exposed for whatever negative or nasty thing, right? And 
it it comes a point to where people that we idolize and you know celebrities where we find out they're fucking disgusting people and it's very disheartening and it can stop a whole entire movement um and i think the reinforcement of the idea that we don't have to put all of our hope we don't have to put everything on one person's shoulder i think that's good and i think that's something that newer generations and even my generation needs more than ever the understanding that we need to quit trying to pin every single success and failure on one person and either try to take it as a team or understand that there's going to be different moments where different leaders have to step up no and that's that's a great thing to bring up i'm really glad you did because it fits in really well with the era that he-man was produced in right like he-man is something that came out like even before i was born technically i think it came out in 82 as far as like a cartoon and figure and stuff like that. So I remember mainly from syndication. I wasn't even old enough to have watched it on its original run, you know, but it was one of those things that stuck around and what it embodied in that early eighties and going into it was the idea that you can count on a really strong figure. You can count on a Ronald Reagan, you know, to, to fight the cold war and to, to shape America up back into, into what it needs to be. You can count on, uh, whoever it might be to, to lead you. <clears throat> it, it's not up to all of us. It's, it's, we can talk, count on this one person. And you saw in comics at the time, the reaction to that um, ended up being people at the time, like Alan Moore writing the Watchmen, which was kind of a critique of that idea, right? Where you have all these superheroes who are doing pretty, pretty despicable things or, or just being outright evil where it's showing you that you shouldn't trust any one person or, or any one group of people to have any kind of immense power over everybody else, because, you know, as that kind of thing is asking, you know, who watches the Watchmen. Um, so it's, it's really good that you put it into those terms with He-Man because he embodied that, that Uber mensch, that, that Superman kind of thinking of the 1980s where a strong man is all you need. And we're, we're getting that feeling back again in the last while, whether it was somebody like a Barack Obama for liberals and some on the left or, or somebody like Donald Trump on the right where everything is pinned on one person and they're this all, all powerful being who, even if they aren't all powerful, we need to give them the power to get it done. And that's a very dangerous mentality to have no matter where you're coming from. Yeah. And I, and, and I think um, a lot of people who have misinterpreted the, the whole point of a lot of these uh, superhero stories, um, they're going to continue to get upset because music, music, and like comic books and like superheroes and stuff like that have kind of been synonymous in the fact where it's always been an industry and there's always been a motive. But when it first started coming out, you know, during the uh, you know 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, it had to be coded. It couldn't be obvious. It couldn't be like right in your face the way that a lot of uh, things that are produced get consumed now. And because we have people like Kevin Smith or we have independent media outlets and streaming services, the the gloves, right, the the famous term, the gloves are coming off. Um, The gloves are finally off and people that create different content are finally able to... um, take those coded languages and take those coded messages and actually kind of put it in your face to make you realize and no longer leave room 
for interpretation. And it's definitely dangerous water to tread on because it's not it's not healthy to have to constantly just give people the answer. You know, it's kind of like uh, to put it in terms, you kind of want to approach it from a teacher standpoint. You want to have them ask the, you, you want to ask them the questions that lead them towards the answer instead of the other way around. Right. So I think with that, we're going to start seeing a lot more of these reinforcements of things like, we shouldn't be putting everything on one person because one person can become corrupted. And then, you know, if that person becomes corrupted over 50% of the people that supported it are going to lose faith and then turn over to some other faction. Right. Um, things of that nature. So it's definitely important to keep in mind. No, absolutely. And that's why that's one of the reasons I did like it. Like, like we were talking about, they, they take out your expectations right away from the beginning and I think there's only like five or six episodes, Hirsch. I don't know how many you've been able to make it through. Yeah, it, it was just the first two um, okay. that I was able to, to get into. I won't, I won't talk too much then about what the series gets into, but they keep those surprises coming. I'm really interested to see where it's going to go, if they're going to be doing another season. They set it up, obviously. Hopefully they will be. Like I said, it's only like five or six episodes. It's not too long. But you really don't have to have watched the series previous you know to get a good idea what's going on because like i said they pretty much wipe the slate clean after the first episode they reintroduce you to that world going what's going on they introduce you to prince adam and the fact that he's got you know this hidden identity of he-man that certain people know about you got skeletor evil lynn oh yeah i forgot to mention uh lena hetty is the one who does evil lynn's voice you know from game of thrones that's who that's who did it okay i couldn't i yeah. couldn't picture who it was doing that voice no she did a really good job and Evil Lynn becomes one of those characters that is much more fleshed out in this version of the show than she ever would have been in the original. Because, like, keep in mind, like, the original wasn't great animation. It wasn't great storyline. It was, it was a show to sell toys, just like all those other 1980s cartoons. Like, it wasn't a, a show to entertain you. It was a show to get you to want to buy every action figure and vehicle that you saw. And that was part of the fun for me, watching... Uh, the show is I would turn to Rye and be like, I had that. I totally had that. I had that <laughs> too. I totally had that. And I didn't remember a lot of the, a lot of the different characters or a lot of the different vehicles and shit like that, that I remember having the toy of now, obviously, but it was one of those things I hadn't thought about in, you know, a couple of decades, probably. That was definitely a nostalgia uh, jump for me. But like I said, you don't have to have seen the series before to enjoy it. Check it out. I do want to bring up uh, a couple of things that happened towards the end in the future, Hirsch, if you ever have a chance, just for shits and giggles. Because uh, one of the major experiences it reminded me of as I continued to watch it was the Transformers cartoon movie from the 1980s that I grew up watching, not the not the horrible remakes that have occurred in the last decade or two. But yeah, the but original... the actual good one, I fucking loved it, dude. And shout out to Soundwave, by the way, because Soundwave was introduced in that movie, correct? Well, Soundwave, I believe, was in the original cartoon proper, but they definitely introduced like uh, a couple of the different little things that flip out of him. Okay, because like, I, like I just I never remembered seeing Soundwave up until that movie, and I was like, dude, that motherfucker's a boombox, and then like transforms into like that's dope as shit. Yeah, no, Soundwave was the shit, and like I, I didn't have the the Autobot guy 
that flipped out the cassette things, but I had a couple of the little cassettes that you could buy on their own that turned into the little guy and the little dog and shit like that. And so I did have a couple of those, but I never had Soundwave. Soundwave was really hard to get. Fucking that was one of those. Them. That was one of those I always wanted. But that cartoon movie was basically developed because they wanted to. They were basically sales were hitting like a low point because everybody had bought all the different Autobots and Decepticons that existed. And so the movie was going to be the opportunity to wipe the slate clean, kill off a bunch of characters and introduce new characters in the movie. And then in the new cartoon series that was going to be coming out so that you had all new figures to buy. And so that was the reason it turns out where they kill off like everybody in the first half an hour of uh, the, the Transformers cartoon besides a couple new characters. And I just remember being fucking heartbroken <laughs> watching that shit when I was like five or six, you know, like, why are they killing everybody who I like and who I have a toy of and who I have like this connection with? And I just remember that Optimus Prime dies in that first movie, spoiler alert, and actually fucking crying as like a kid and being like, well, this is, it's all different from here. And, you know, like your childhood kind of, has a little bit of it taken away with shit like that. So it was just kind of, uh, it brought me a little bit back of that feeling in the He-Man series as stuff continues in the show. But I thought they did a really good job and I appreciate you giving me the chance just to nerd out a little bit and talk about something I always enjoyed. Hell yeah, of course. I mean, at the end of it, right? Like like I said, a lot of a lot of the stuff in your childhood like echoed a bit into mine. And He-Man, not not so much like I, you know, I'd, I'd fuck with it here and there, but like Transformers, GI Joes, um, Battle Bees, you know, stuff like that. Uh, I definitely became consumed in and I could uh, and it made me understand, especially in hindsight, um, the whole point of a lot of those 80s TV shows. Right. Because like now, like you had mentioned, uh, TV shows have like a like a plot and an arc that they have written for characters when before the plot and the arc revolved around like the merchandise that they were pumping out yeah. and um, definitely just a complete different transition. Yeah. So it's, it's much better quality than any of it used to be. And like I said, don't let the fucking incels and right wing assholes tell you that it it's terrible because it's not, it's really good. Yeah. And I also want to give a quick shout out to the She-Ra reboot that's also on netflix that they did a couple years starting a couple years back that's really good as well and it it takes she in a much different direction in a much more uh interesting direction than you'd ever expect to as well dude quick quick little thing about she so um there's a game that i play that is available on pc it's also available on xbox game pass it's called planet coaster um I've been playing that for a while and I got to meet some pretty cool people that are part of that community. And I was watching somebody and they made a fucking Shiro roller coaster, dude. Oh, wow. Like, and the thing is, while you're going through it, right? Like we're getting ready to go up to the to the first drop, there's TV screens with parts of the cartoon from Netflix that are like different like, captures and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And you can even put audio speakers so it's like building up the story and then you just go through man it was just so fucking cool so dope. yeah and it's uh it's on the steam workshop um i'm pretty sure if you just type in like he-man roller coasters it'll pop up um or just you know sheer itself either way check it out 
definitely worth a peep. I just wanted to bring that in there because you had mentioned that and it reminded me. No, that's really cool. Because like I, like I said, I, I thought that She-Ra um, cartoon is really done well too. And so I'm glad to see that the He-Man one is, is good in its own way. Hell yeah. But speaking of reboots and remakes, Hirsch, I figured we can go. You had a little bit of, of a subject in that direction you wanted to talk about as well. Yeah, I just I, I was talking to uh, to a good friend. Shout out to PS2. Um, and we were just kind of talking about some of the shows that we used to love watching uh, when we were younger, especially like some of our guilty pleasure type shows. And I had brought up The Munsters. And for those listening who don't know about the show, The Munsters was black and white TV show that focused on a family of monsters that were named none other than how original the monsters um absolute great series it came out at a uh i'm, I'm trying to think it, it it was made during the 70s or 80s i believe it was in the 60s it was in the 60s okay yeah yeah because it was around um, the same time as like adam's family like in that kind of genre like i want to say it was seen as like a ripoff of adam's family well, see, the the reason I thought it was maybe made in the 70s or 80s is because there was a few episodes that um, because the dad was Frankenstein and, you know, the mother was like a vampire lady and the kid was like a werewolf boy. Um, because they were all so different, people would always react to them differently and treat them differently. I um, mean. I always thought just because that show was kind of like ahead of its time a little bit, just on like some social and cultural issues, not all of them, obviously, but certain episodes, they kind of highlighted it. Um, th- that's why I thought it was uh, made at that time. But anyways, no, it's totally understandable. The, the only reason I know for sure is because uh, when I used to watch it shit on like Nick at night, they had a couple episodes that were trying to capture like the teen culture of the era. And they'd have like these beatnik guys and like these guys who were playing like like surf music and shit like that. Oh and yeah, it was totally like a like a sick like early to like mid sixties kind of feel. Oh man, well, for those who used to love that series as much as I, um, I got a bit of good news and a bit of bad news. Uh, good news is it's getting remade. There have been talks about it getting remade, but however, the bad news is Rob Zombie is going to be remaking it. Um, I am very worried because the Munsters isn't about gore. It's not about killing their neighbors and all this other shit, which I feel he's going to try to turn it into. Um, It's a... And if you actually go back and watch the show, it's a show that is trying to explain that like there are going to be people who are different that you come across throughout your whole entire life. And there are going to be families that operate in a different function compared to yours. That doesn't mean that you should outcast them or that they're monsters or that they're evil. They're people. And they're, you know, even though the dad's a Frankenstein, the grandpa's, you know, a vampire, the mom's a vampire, like, even that all considered at the end of the day, they're human. And that's why I always kind of love that show, even from a younger age, because it, it kind of instilled into me the mindset where it's like, okay, maybe I shouldn't judge people based off the way that they look. I should judge them based off their actions and um, definitely shows that we need more of. 
But I think, and, and the reason I wanted to bring this up is just because I feel like there are some things that are worth remaking and rebooting, and there are some things that just probably shouldn't be touched. Um, the monsters probably shouldn't be touched. Um, just because, again, I think especially like with somebody like Rob Zombie, I just I'm already picturing it like the fucking Frankenstein dad is going to pop someone's head off and there's going to be blood everywhere. And there's going to be fucking probably sorry, trigger warning, probably a rape scene. And it's just like it's going to be fucking unfathomable. And it's just it's pissing me off just thinking about it. So I just quickly wanted to get that off my chest. Um, Don't touch and ruin everything, please. No, and like really quickly, uh, it ran from '64 till '66. That's when it was originally on. It was just a couple seasons. Um, but I agree about the Rob Zombie thing. He's one of those guys that his original stuff tends to be at least okay. It's when he decides to do remakes or or kind of mess with other people's uh, IP that it tends to turn out badly. You know, because yeah, like it, what was it? Uh, House of Thousand Corp- Corpses. Um, what was the one with uh, Devil's uh, Devil's Rejects or whatever? What was that? What it was called? I can't remember. Yeah, Devil's Rejects. And I, look, I love Devil's Rejects. No, that's what of, I mean. Like his original stuff, like tends to be okay. Yeah, it, it's good. And and I'll say this: the the first Halloween remake that he did, I thought was brilliant. I thought it was really well done. I liked yeah, it. Then I didn't dig it as much. That's where uh, that's where he kind of lost me. See, and, and I get that, but the thing is, like, with me, right, like, I've always loved the Halloween series, mm-hmm. and the reason I loved it is because the way that they presented it beforehand, you know, this kid that, you know, is in a family, mom and dad in the home, sister who's, like, goody-goody two-shoes, blah, 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 um, and then he just, like, randomly gets possessed, it... It was scary, but it was like, you know, it's a fucking rich family, dude. They'll be able to cover it up. It doesn't fucking matter, blah, blah, blah. There's no real consequence. Um, But Rob Zombie's story, it was a very broken home. It was a more modernized version. Um, And it made the transition of Michael Myers, the person to the killer, more believable and more real. And that's why I think I loved it so much. See, and I can definitely see where you're coming from, but where I didn't uh, like it as much is for the exact opposite reason that you, that you liked it is I like the idea of this seemingly normal boy snapping out because it only becomes later on in the movies, right? That he has like a possession and, you know, in the first one, it's mainly just seen as like a mental break, right? And yeah. it, it's only in the later on movies, they kind of tack on a lot of that backstory. But like in the early, in the original one, like the reason I don't think they should have remade the first one is like, it's almost a perfect movie to me besides John Carpenter just being awesome with his soundtracks and all that kind of shit too. Um, is that it's, it's just this, it's a kid in a normal family who snaps out and the not normalness of that made it more interesting to me. Right. Like we can, we can learn about any serial killer and about how fucked up his, his childhood probably was and about how fucked up like his, his relationships were with his uh, parents or lack thereof. That to me seems almost like too trite to serial killer. Like that's what made Michael Myers even more terrifying in my mind's eye was the fact that he was just this normal kid who snapped the fuck out and you don't know why, and you'll never know why. And I, I think that was kind of scarier to me in a way. Yeah. 
No, I get it. I, I don't know. I, I, and it's not that you're wrong. I'm just telling you, like, I just mean. Oh, like, no, for know. sure. I, I was just going to say there, there's not necessarily any right or wrong. It's uh, it's just two different sides of the same coin. It's just interesting, right? Because, like, I don't know. I didn't, There's a lot of stuff that we agree upon, but that, nope, that's a fucking line, dude. Um, no, and it just shows you, like, the different perspectives you can have when you're watching art and, like, you know, films and that kind of stuff, you know? And it, it gets into the conversation that you were talking about, like, what what is it about our culture now especially that is that is obsessed with the remake obsessed with you know whether it's nostalgia driven stuff or just the fact that it seems like corporations behind all these projects want to make sure they have a, a early buy-in that if, if you feel a certain way about something they can already kind of count on an audience getting into something as opposed to creating something brand new from scratch there's a lot of of current cultural stuff that feeds into the to this remake uh, stuff that probably started at least in my lifetime it seems like the late to mid 90s and forward this obsession with remakes and reboots I don't know about you Hirsch if, if you've noticed it more recently or if it's been kind of an overall pattern well I mean the thing is right there's always been you know remade, remakes reboots um, I think the, oh, the storytelling level- like from the beginning of storytelling, like we we've like Greek plays have been remade, you know, over and over again based on myths from back then. Like you have Shakespearean stuff that has influenced other things, and that's based on you know, like like that's always. But like it, it seems like it's reached like a saturation point, you know. No, for sure. And I and I was gonna say, I think that the the sheer volume that we're seeing now of of remakes and reboots is far more than we've ever seen in any other era. Um, and I think really the the decline of cinema itself or even television, a lot of it started with that fucking writer strike that happened in the, the 2000s, the early 2000s. Um, and ever since then, I feel like Hollywood itself hasn't really been able to recover. Now, well, I say Hollywood, I but like Netflix and shit and these streaming sites, they're starting to do well. But yeah. Hollywood itself is just not, it's just not clicking anymore. Well, it, it just seemed like they, they, the corporations that run Hollywood made a, made a key decision to cut out anybody behind the scenes who, you know, is worth their money in the creative side. And that if you can just keep on pumping out this stuff that you don't need the big names behind, that you don't need people who are creative behind and you can make money, then you go ahead and do that instead. We saw that with like reality TV and all the game shows that were big in like the early two thousands going into now and how TV changed for a while until you saw like prestige TV kind of take up the mantle you know, and, and run with it. But well, see what, what I'm thinking of though, like right now, I, I understand somewhat the importance of kind of uh, the reboot and revitalization because it, you know, again, art is a reflection of society and culture. Right. Um, and I think that it's not just because of the nostalgia, nostalgic sense and, and how much of a big market it is that we've kind of started revolving back towards uh, the 80s and 90s. But I think culturally, we're just kind of resorting back to a lot of the 80s, 90s mentality, right? Like we're we're in the second Cold War. We are also in the third installment of the hippie movement, right? Because like in the 90s, there was the, the failed Woodstock event, right? Which was like oh, yeah, the... Like they have that big documentary about it and shit. Yeah, and, and that was kind of the 
crescendo event of the 90s part of that movement because we have talked about it on previous episodes and i've talked about it before with friends um the 90s was basically the 60s reincarnated maybe not on the same uh drastic level well they're taking the shallow parts of it right we had talked about that in that previous episode where they they weren't taking the ideology they were just taking the aesthetic exactly and i think and i think that's kind of like being more more true now than even in the 90s like aesthetics is everything now it's not about substance anymore Um, well and, and part of that 80s and 90s stuff makes sense though because the people who grew up in those eras are the ones who are, are getting the positions of power nowadays, right? Like whether it, it's creative people or executives, like the people who grew up on these things are the ones making a lot of decisions now. <clears throat> yeah. And so it's, it's kind of natural, like you said, for this eighties and nineties reboot kind of stuff to be happening because the people who grew up on these things are, are the ones who are creating it and, and clearing these things to go forward now. But I think what we're talking about gets to more of a, a cultural kind of of aspect of this where it almost seems like we're kind of just rewinding and then replaying the same things over and over again, whether it's creatively, entertainment-wise, or even our politics and our everyday lives. It, it seems like we can't get beyond what we've already experienced. Well, and it just goes to show like this idea that gets passed around where it's like, oh, you know, sometimes we have to go back and relive to, to move forward. No, no, the fuck we don't. We don't have to go through the same shit that people went through before to learn the fucking same lesson. Like, there's a reason there's books for a reason. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Like, I, I don't yeah. understand. I don't well, understand that sentiment. And it even gets beyond that into more of a, a cultural critique kind of level, if you want to, right? Is the, um, there's in postmodern thought, there's part of the idea is the reason why it's called postmodern is because in the modern period, we got to a point where creativity and everything else were kind of tapped in by capitalism. It became something else. We're living in a world now where the critique goes that art and creativity are kind of dead and we're kind of just reworking the same things that have already been done over and over again. We're not really adding to them. There's not really any there there anymore. It's just a repetition kind of thing. And it's just taking ideas that we've already had in our heads and putting those back out again, whether whether we call it an homage or just a blatant ripoff, you know, that, that everything kind of is a reference to something else greater than what came before it. Well, and, and I think the main like underlying issue with all of this that we're talking about right now is, is something that I talked about previously. Um, it's the problem that we've commoditized like passion. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, uh, I, I talked about it with like the Pokemon cards, right? Like it was the thing that now if you're somebody who's like, man, I kind of want to relive those years that I used to like bother my mom and dad to go up to the trading cop store, uh, trading card store um, and get a couple new Pokemon cards. You can't even go back and get an old Pokemon card from your childhood without having to spend three, four hundred dollars um, to just get one card. And I think that uh, it's just a, a wake up call to the fact that like, Money isn't the greatest incentive. It's a it it is a great incentive, but when it becomes the only incentive, you kind of see what we're seeing right now. Whether it be the music industry, 
Um, and, and I'm talking mainstream. Obviously, there's underground artists and there's a lot of independent artists who are great. Same with movies. But there's no longer that free range of passion. There's no longer that hobbyist mentality. Or even the, you know, I, I remember watching like a lot of DVDs, like uh, commentary and stuff like that. I would watch during the show or movie. And there used to be a common reoccurring theme where a lot of directors or writers or producers or even actors would have the mentality of like, no, this shit ain't work. I'm just a fucking kid living out a dream. You know, there was a lot more innocence to it, whether or not it was just shit they said to make themselves feel better. It was at least a mentality that was put out there and reinforced. And now, um, whether it be a director, uh, an actor, whatever, it's no longer, you know, I'm a child living a dream. It's, oh, this is my job. This is just what I do. Right. And it may seem like a simple lapse in language, but that simple lapse in language is also a lapse in mentality. It's no longer like I'm a kid living out a dream. It's I'm having to work. So then that way I don't fucking starve and die. Now, and, and capitalism does make you make different decisions and also self-censor and all that kind of stuff too. So as we're living in the end stages of capitalism, obviously we're also seeing the end stages of all these other creativity uh, based ventures and entertainment. So I think it does go hand in hand with the hopeful downfall of capitalism and not into horrible fascism and other stuff. But, you know, we'll see how that goes. Hey, dude, what do you mean, dude? Fucking capitalism is great. Don't you just love the fact that, like, if your Internet provider is real shitty, you can just, like, end your contract whenever you want to and just go find a better Internet provider because, you know, free market. Oh, wait, wait. Oh, yeah, don't work like that for everybody, unfortunately. Damn, dude, fuck. Yeah, but I, I, I do think that I, I do share that criticism a little bit of the idea, you know, of that postmodern society that, you know, there's not a whole lot that we haven't already said or already done and that a lot of things are just saying it over again, but, you know, either tipping their hat towards it or not realizing that it's already been done. But that doesn't mean that you can't be entertained or that you can't enjoy things at the same time. And it's by no way a critique saying that, you know, you can't take part in this culture. You have to be above it because I myself take in a lot of shitty culture and it's fun and I enjoy it. And I don't really care at the end of the day because I don't try to see everything that I do as inherently like, you know, uh, a moral judgment on how I feel about the world. Exactly. Like my one of my favorite things to do right now is watch Fuckboy Island on HBO. Right. I'm not I'm not learning anything from it, but fuck is it great to watch, dude. I don't know if you remember 30 Rock at all, but there was a, a thing they did on, on 30 Rock called Milf Island. <laughs> yes, dude, that's why I did I fucking lost my shit. And, and I'm it so totally reminds with, me of that. Yeah. Yeah, dude. Oh my god, seriously watch it and then tell me whether or not the people who made this watch that episode of 30 Rock. But saw it as a good thing? Yes. Yeah. They were like, yo, we can make money off this, dude. And they were right, because, I, can't, dude, I can't stop watching. No, and it, it's it's trash TV has its time and place, right? Like, nobody's above it. I'm not going to hold you hold it against anybody. No, not at all, dude. Fuck it. If you want to watch Keeping Up with the Kardashians, dude, you know what? Let me smoke a bowl or two, and I might join you. Fuck it. Yeah, like, especially stoner content. Like, I'm not going to hold, you know, that against anybody. <laughs> yeah for sure like 
especially based on, I don't know, I've been listening to that QAnon Anonymous podcast a whole lot. And I, I joined up with the Patreon just so I could get like access to the like bonus episodes and shit like that. So like all that shit has just been living in my head. So that's been my obsession lately. And if I've been willing to get that deep, I can't judge anybody on anything. Yeah, it's like that. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know if really quickly, though, talk about the reboots or remakes. Like, like I said, I understand we were making critiques about all this kind of stuff. But I don't know. What's one thing that you would be interested in, in seeing a reboot or remake in? Me personally, dude, I want to see a fucking reboot or a remake of Monster Squad. That's what I want. Dude, great. Like, that was going to be my second choice. Like, Monster Squad would be fantastic because, you like, watching it now, there's a lot of cringe moments, especially some of the language that is thrown around and, like, some of the ideas that are being presented. Like, there's a lot of creeper shit going on that I forgot about. You know, like, with the, with the buddy's um, sister that they're taking photos of and shit like that. Yeah, peeping toms. Yeah. Yep. But you also have, like, the uh, F slur gets thrown around at least a couple times. His name like, is Boris. Well, not only like the the fat like kid jokes, but like uh, calling somebody that like uh, like you know the gay slur. Oh yeah, no, I I know. I was just thinking about when they because he there's a part where he drops that slur when he's trying to make him eat the candy bar on the yeah. ground that he stepped on. Yeah. God, Which why the fuck do I remember like scene by scene that movie? Fucking a, dude. No, and like that'd be one of those where I think it would be fun to remake it. And the fact that they had that universal stuff they were going to try to do and it all fucked up, it'd be cool if somebody came along and did that instead. Uh, but yeah, getting I imagine getting the rights to to Frankenstein's monster, Dracula, uh, Wolfman, and that kind of stuff when Universal was trying to do that reboot would have been tough. So maybe now they can pull it off. Fingers crossed. Yeah. What was the but first I, one for you? Uh my first choice would be another 80s movie. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it has a lot of big names in it. But it was a movie called The Explorers. Okay. It has a really young Ethan Hawke, really young River Phoenix. And I can't remember who the third kid was. Let me look it up really quick. But I want to say it came out like the mid 80s. I don't think I ever saw that. It used to come on like HBO a lot when I was a kid. And so I would watch it every now and then. Uh, yeah, 1985 was when it came out. Okay, Joe Dante directed it. That's cool because Joe Dante did like Gremlins and a bunch of other stuff. He's a really good director. Um, hey, Ethan Hawke, River Phoenix, and then Jason Presson was the third kid. I don't really remember him from much else. But these three like nerdish kids um, who are obsessed with like sci-fi kind of stuff, they end up building like their own space vehicle and like end up exploring like outer space and like one kid's like a, a physics genius, so they're able to pull off all this kind of shit. But like, you know, it's a very 80s sci-fi movie. So the mm. acting was good. Like the script was fun, but like the effects weren't quite there. The third act was kind of sloppy. Um, so it's one of those movies where like, I think what would make for a great remake is a thing that has a really cool idea or that worked really well, but either it hasn't aged really well or they weren't able to quite pull it off that first time. And I think this falls into, it's a really great movie for its time, but like if they could remake a couple of the different things, I think it'd be even better. Yeah. No, that's a good first choice. My my second choice, um, The Warriors. Yeah, Warriors would be a cool one. Because Warriors is another one where parts of it don't age very well, especially some of the language and, and stuff like that. But I think that uh, 
I, I don't know, man. Like that's you know the during this conversation, right? And like even before, there are certain things that I'm excited for, like when it comes to reboots and remakes, right? Like I think uh, the horror genre is something that I'm looking forward to seeing what they're able to reboot and remake. Like maybe we see um, Hellraiser made in a much better way. Maybe that gets to come about. Maybe the Friday the Thirteenth movies finally get a little bit of justice, especially now with. Uh, Corey Feldman coming out uh, talking about the lawsuit being lifted. Um, more importantly, like dystopian type eighties and nineties movies. I think we had talked about it the previous episode, like the escape from New York and escape from LA type shit or like Mad Max or whatever. Um, no, and I, I think the Mad Max recent one's a great example of like doing it right. Like Mad Max Fury Road, like in some ways is is relatively superior to the other movies that came before it because they're able to do a lot more there. They're, you know, the fact that it's modern, it has very modern forward thinking behind it. But I think, like you said, uh, there's certain genres that I think are more apt for, for that remake than like, I don't want to ever see a Godfather remake, you know, never, never. Like, I don't even want to see a spinoff, like, you know, like just do your own thing. No, but I do. I will say this. I kind of do want to see, um, not necessarily like gangster, but I do kind of want to see like the fifties era brought back into, uh, to the forefront when it comes to like movie settings. Well, and they they kind of did a little bit of that with like Mad Men and doing like a little bit of critique of that era. So I mean, it's it's definitely out there. Um, I just wonder. If a lot of those previous eras that like, you know, the fact that you and I grew up watching shit like the Munsters on Nick at night, like, I don't know if that experience is had anymore. And it's not that there's a problem with that. I just don't know if people even have those cultural touchstones to those eras anymore where a remake would even feel like a remake at this point. It would just seem like new to most people. Right. Yeah. Like, I think that's what would happen if you, if you kind of remake anything before the 1980s or hell, even from the 1980s is that, a lot of people would probably just think it's new to begin with, and there maybe there's nothing wrong with that. No, not not necessarily wrong with that. I think the only time that there would be an issue, right, is if you have this sentiment, which for a while was kind of a thing with my generation. Some of the newer generations are getting a lot better about it, um, but this whole idea of like, oh, this is before me, I shouldn't fucking have to care. Like, who cares? Like, there is um. There was a hip hop page that I followed and they had uh, put this article and this was like a couple years ago. And they were talking about like a lot of the new up and coming artists at that time. And they would do interviews with them and talk to them like, how do you feel about people like uh, Eric Bean, Rakim or EPMD or De La Soul or Naughty by Nature or like even even like big names like Biggie. Right. And they'd be like, who the fuck is that? Like, how do you mean? What do you mean? Who the fuck is that? Because, like, yeah. you know, for us growing up, if you would listen to, you know, music or if you'd watch a movie or a show, you'd be watching somebody be like, oh, hey, so and so was in this movie and in that movie that came out, you know, five or 10 years before this. And that's where they got the idea. And it was, it was about not just enjoying that content that you're, that you're viewing. It was about, being absorbed into the culture and uh, paying homage, right? Not even necessarily respect, but homage to to the one. Really though, what you're talking about is a respect for what became for you and understanding that you're not creating 
anything brand new that you're, you're standing on the shoulders of people who came before you. And that is an important mentality to have. But I I also kind of think of it like, I don't know. I I think of it maybe from like an athlete's perspective, like if somebody plays basketball and somebody's really good at it, I don't expect them to remember who played for that same team in the 1960s and have the same connection to it as the same way, like a fan might. So like music's a little bit different. I totally understand where you're coming from with that. But like, I do have the mentality a little bit of like, especially with a younger generation, like they don't have to have necessarily be grateful for what came before them because they're already doing something new and maybe we should just enjoy that for what it is. But I, I, I tend to agree with, with the mentality that you have. I just, I like to, I have been trying to have this conversation in my mind because that's one of the things like uh, with my daughter now is uh, what kind of culture do I introduce her to? What kind of stuff do I like try to show her that I grew up on? And one of the ideas I came across by this guy, uh, Drew, Drew uh, uh, Maggery, Maggery, that writes for Defector, talks about is like, you can't, you can't force your kids to have the same childhood that you did. And in, in some ways, you just kind of have to accept that while also making sure to, to show them, you know, interesting things and expose them to new ideas and that kind of thing. But you can't expect them to always react the same way that you did or to have the same uh, admiration for something that you grew up with. So that's definitely something that's been on my mind in, in different ways. Yeah. Cause like, I would love for Arya to like, you know, dig the same kind of shit that I do, but it might not work out that way. And I have to be okay with that. No, for sure. I know. Like I had that moment cause uh, one day I was watching her and I had, um, I was testing out that Paramount plus, you know, just to see what it was about. Yeah. And it was actually, it was decent. I didn't keep it cause you know, like I'm on a budget right now, but uh I, I kept it for a couple months and they had like all the old Nick Jr. stuff on there. Yeah. And one of the shows was Gola Gola Island. And that was the show that like I grew up on and I fucking loved. Yeah, I remember and, watching that a lot. Yeah. And so I was I was sitting there with Aria and I was like, You you wanna watch them? She's like, Yeah, okay. So I put it on and dude, she went from like running around like doing her thing to like she sits down, pulls up her chair. And just like starts watching, and then they start singing and dancing. She gets up and starts singing and dancing, and like <laughs> it was just really cool. And it's just like it was one of those nice moments. But yeah, like you said, I also have to keep in mind that you know whether it be Arya or like my own kids in the future, there's gonna be times where like I show them something or I try to uh, expose them to to a moment that I got to live, and they're not gonna be receptive in the same way that I was, and that's fine. Yep. Yeah. And. I, I kind of been trying to apply that mentality to other ways. Like I was saying, like, not, you know, I remember watching the Simpsons or watching a lot of cartoons and a lot of it was references to a lot of stuff that would have came way before our era, but we knew about it because we either saw it in references and stuff like the Simpsons and then saw that other stuff later on because we were kind of interested or because we would watch bullshit like Nick at night or watch what our parents were watching or watch an old movie that was on TV randomly. I just think the culture has changed in a way with streaming with different, like, you know, cable cutting different options for, for Twitch, YouTube, whatever it might be, TikTok. like just the, the cultural intake is different and, and that's going to be just the way it is, you know? Yeah. But it's always going to be shifting in interests or, or ever evolving. But yeah, stop with the unnecessary remakes and reboots. If you're going to do it, make sure it was an interesting idea that maybe didn't go all the way or something that you can remake 
through a modern lens that will put a different shine on it, or maybe we'll put a different, uh, a different viewpoint on it that you can take in a, in a better way. And so if we get, that, go ahead. It, I was just going to say, and if we get any more like superhero fucking remakes or reboots, can we get the fucking X-Men series like done the right way for the love of fucking God, even if it's an animated series? Because I I fucking need X-Men in my life, man. And those well, movies just didn't cut it. Well, and really quickly, I wanted to mention, I think the way that you can do, especially superhero movies or, or just the kind of glut that we're kind of in when it comes to superhero IP or just IP, you know, that keeps on getting rebooted is that I, I watched the suicide squad over the weekend. And I know Hershey would mention you were able to watch it too. And I thought it was a really nice job of, of taking something that even just a couple years ago was made and people weren't fans of it, you know, making a new slate, wiping it clean and coming up with something fresh and interesting. And James Gunn, the director, who is the same guy behind Guardians of the Galaxy that I thought was kind of a fresh take on the superhero genre at the time, talked about it. You know, he, he himself is bored with superhero movies. With the, he, he appreciated what came before him with X-Men and Iron Man, you know, leading up to the big Marvel stuff that we all were really enjoying for the last couple, you know, what, 15 years, 20 years almost now. But they've kind of run their course. And, and the interesting way you can do a superhero movie now is either to do something different with characters people aren't aware of, like Hirsch was talking about, or you make it a genre movie. You make it like a, you do a superhero movie in a different way, almost like a winter soldier, the captain America movie. That's one of my favorite of the Marvel movies because it's really like a spy thriller. It's almost like a, a better version of like a Tom Clancy story that happens to have superheroes in it. If that makes any sense. For sure. And like, the way Gunn thought of Suicide Squad is he really liked like the war films of the 60s, you know, like Dirty Dozen and, and that kind of like uh, ragtag soldier kind of movie. He wanted to make a version of that, but have it in the superhero genre at the same time. And I thought Suicide Squad did a great job of that because the original comics of Suicide Squad, it's a lot of like C and D tier level villains who are literally, you know, fodder for the enemy they're, they're sent into situations that they're not going to survive so you have a lot of kills you have a lot of deaths you have a lot of uh of villains that you really you can't see the point for them and they kind of get taken out in dumb ways so i thought the movie did a really great job of that but also showing like the way to do a superhero movie or do a superhero ip i think the boys is a really good example of this you know the amazon show i don't know if you've seen that all hirsch yeah i I got into that. I was able to get into the next one I think you're going to talk about, which is Invincible. I was able to watch more of that. You know, and I haven't seen Invincible, um, but I thought the boys did a really great job of, of showing like a different perspective on superheroes, like kind of taking the, the point like I was talking about with things like uh, the Watchmen where these people shouldn't be trusted. Like they are overpowered and they're probably going to be assholes with that power. So I, I think if you have a different perspective or if you're maybe putting a genre kind of spin, that, that's kind of the way to go with a lot of this storytelling where I don't, I'm not as interested in the straight up Marvel stuff anymore. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's part of a formula that is very outdated. Like good guy goes through something, learns lesson, defeats evil, saves the day. Next episode. Mm -hmm. Um, and people are tired of that, not just because the fact is something that we see all the time, but um, I don't know if anyone's been paying attention for the past like 10 or 15 fucking years, but things aren't going so well in terms of humanity, right? And the 
understanding that, you know, good guys win, bad guys lose is a concept that is no longer really believed in or sought out. It's like there are people, it's the reason why shows like Sopranos, for example, I know I always revolve back to it, but it's the reason why they're so successful because people don't want a fucking hero. People don't want to be safe. People love, but however, people do love a good anti-hero. People love a guy that you shouldn't root for, but you do. You, you know what I mean? And I think that uh, it, it's it's important to abandon this this old archaic formula of like, oh, well, the one guy who can do everything saves everyone. Like, I, dude, like that shit's washed out. Well, no, that was why Suicide Squad was interesting that it's this ragtag group of like idiots slash villains, you know? who are able to, to pull things together and end up saving people, even though that might not be their intent or their motivation originally. And I think something like the boys does a good job where they have a character called Homelander on, on the boys. Who's basically like a, an evil version of uh, Superman. He's a lot like the John Cena character in suicide squad, actually, who's kind of like a, a fascist version of like captain America, you know, kind of where he's willing to do anything for, for the country, even if it means he even says, you know, for peace, he's willing to kill as many men, women and children as it takes. Like it's a very uh, American imperialistic view that they did a good job of critiquing in Suicide Squad. They do the same thing on the boys where, where superheroes are, are working, you know, hand in hand with American imperialism and American military to kind of project American power. And that feeds into that part of that idea about that critique of, of just what we have in our minds when it comes to superheroes and the boys presents a good idea that no, it's, it's everyday people who can, who can take events and, and shape them if they want to. We shouldn't just rely on these powerful people to shape them for us. But I didn't mean to hog up too much time there on the, on the reboots and remakes. Oh no, it's all good. Fucking. It was actually, it was a nice little, uh, nice little banter. I didn't expect it to, to go that long either. Yeah, I know it was kind of meandering, but I hope everybody was able to keep keep track of what we were getting at there. But uh, one of the next things I just wanted to mention really quickly was a, a special thank you to one of our listeners and a person that both of us have been in contact with is uh, Ben. Um, I want to say thank you again to Ben for reaching out. He had shared a little bit of information dealing with Gladio and some of the training missions that people were working on in, uh, in Brussels in Belgium at the time just after or during the Brabant stuff. And so a couple of documents that he was able to translate for me, he was super nice enough to take the time out of his day to send it along to me. I was able to read a little bit of that. Uh, I know Hirsch, you and I were talking a little bit, maybe we're going to take uh, time in a future episode coming up to kind of just do a quick retrospective on Gladio, some of the stuff that we've learned from people like Ben, but also some of the perspective that we've learned from doing this series on Latin America and how even just the stuff in the United States recently might have shaped our perspective on Gladio since we did that series, you know, way back when, a couple months back. No, it's so definitely I, a subject I want to go back to just because I feel like almost too there, there was so much that we weren't even able to get into, you know? Mm-hmm. No, stuff that we weren't even maybe aware of, but also just different perspectives based on the stuff that we've learned and the research we've done recently, you know? And I was able to finally send to Ben the place I found the information about that training schedule I had mentioned way back when. 
with that year 1984 being so particular to that series. So I hope he was able to see that. And I just wanted to make sure that I mentioned a special shout out to him and, and all the other people who have been listening and enjoying along the way. So I appreciate you giving me that opportunity there, Hirsch. Yeah, for sure. Um, and um, I mean, and, and honestly, once again, thank you, Ben, for listening. I know um, he did a tremendous job, not just listening, supporting and, and uh, helping us with notes, but also for um, for shouting out the podcast and getting other people um, interested in as well. Our Operation Gladio and our Brabant uh, episodes were definitely our most listened to. So, yeah, shout out to Ben. We need more listeners like him. No, and everybody who's listened along the way, we appreciate it so much. You know, anybody who has reached out to let us know about, you know, possible topics that we're going to cover in the future, it all just means a lot. Um, Wanted to pause there really quick because we are going to move on to a little bit more of a, um, not a downer subject, but it's a little bit of a sad subject here. Um, Hirsch, when I got back from, from the party a little bit early, on Saturday night, I was checking my Twitter feed and I saw the unfortunate news that Trevor Moore, uh, no relation from the whitest kids, you know, uh, a sketch comedy series that you and I used to enjoy a lot and, and still enjoy a lot of the sketches from had passed away suddenly in what I believe was an accident. He was relatively young. I want to say like early to mid forties left behind like a young son and a, and a wife. Not only was it, you know, a tragic thing, uh, you know, I'm getting to that age where it seems like a lot of the people either of my peer group or just a generation or so before you're starting to hit that point where, where people pass at an early age that you, you weren't expecting. And it's not that I know I'm not going to be one of those people who says a celebrity death affects me as much as a person who knows me, but it seems like more and more it just happens. And it's not that I'm not affected. So it is something that kind of hit me because we're close in age because I enjoyed his work so much which is one of those things that was kind of a bummer. But I wanted to talk a little bit on this episode about the whitest kids you know, Trevor Moore, and, and some of the stuff that we enjoyed about it. And I don't know if everybody listening was able to watch it, but you can pretty much find all the episodes on YouTube now. It used to come on IFC. It was a great sketch comedy show, Hirsch, and I know you and I used to laugh our asses off. Oh, man. Some, some of my fondest uh, memories are or either getting home from work or you getting home from work and just chilling out, popping on some whitest kids, you know, and just laughing our fucking asses off, dude. Like by far one of the, one of the better sketch comedies. And the thing that I liked about it the most is like, it always kind of reminded me of like a mixture of um, whose line is it anyways and kids in the home. Yeah, you know, Kids in the Hall was definitely something I always got from it. So, and, and the reason I have, like, the Who's Line comparisons is because um, it wasn't necessarily improv, but the way that everybody who partook on that show had their presence when they'd be in a sketch, especially Trevor. Um, and a lot of them were talented in the fact of where they could also sing. Um, and, and again, Trevor, he was somebody who did a lot of the writing for the show, but more importantly, he gave us some amazing, amazing music videos and sketches. Um, and I know that we wanted to talk about a, uh, a few of those. Uh, yeah, it, it's too bad we can't embed a couple audio clips in here because it would definitely be worth it. But if anybody has the chance, a couple of things you should look up 
for sure, just based on what we're talking about, if you're interested at all and want to have a good laugh, or um, A New Daddy, which is a song that Trevor Moore does, which the first time I heard it, I was just taking aback that somebody could actually sing a song about this and get away with it. And then you move on from Get a New Daddy, which is a song about turning in one of your parents for molesting you because they want to make you do chores. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you then turn from that into what I really wasn't expecting him to get away with, which is the Hitler rap. And just to make sure, uh, Ryan and I end up watching it again the other night, and it was still as funny to me if not funnier because of the rise of the alt-right and the rise of neo-Nazis to see Trevor Moore poking fun at a, at a figure like, like Hitler in the way that he did. It was definitely something I don't know if, if he would do now just because of how the imagery is portrayed, but it was definitely something I thought was even funnier now. Dude, I remember seeing that Hitler rap video for the first time and I, I fucking lost it, man. There. There's not many people who are both willing to touch a subject like that and also nail it. Like, that's the key part right there is the the second part, nailing it. And, dude, when he dropped the line, uh, cruising down the street in my Panzer tank, sipping, drinking Chris uh, with my bitch and Frank. I Dude... I fucking lost it, man. Like, that was the funniest shit that I had ever heard in my entire life up to that point. Yeah, because, like, the whole point of view of the song is that, as he says as Hitler, is he's down with the Jews now. He just wants to focus on rap. Yeah. And, like, it's just, it's it's so idiotic and so counterintuitive that it works. And it's just one of those things where, the shock value was there, but it also had a, a really funny perspective just beyond the initial shock. And one of the sketches I quickly wanted to mention before we get to my favorite ever was, um, I don't remember a lot of the context of it, Hirsch, but you remember the hunting sketch? <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> I, da- I damn near ricked him. Yeah, I damn near ricked him. And just stupid shit like that that'll live in my mind forever. You know, like uh, you also had the sketch with the guy who looked like our cousin Tyler where he had called the drug dealer over. Oh, the gal in the PCP, dude? Yeah, and like, oh, just funny stuff. <laughs> I need, I just need to watch that show again. And But my favorite, it might be one of my favorite sketches of all time, not only because of my history obsession, but it's the it's the Abraham Lincoln sketch. It's a, it's a sketch that purports to tell the truth about the assassination or the killing of Abraham Lincoln. I don't want to ruin anything for anybody who hasn't seen it, but if you do end up watching it, watch the unedited version because the bleeps kind of ruin it in my perspective. But it essentially is showing you what really happened that night at Ford's Theater and why Abraham Lincoln was killed by John Wilkes Booth and the lesson that should be learned from it, which is you have fucked up now. Now you fucked now up. You, fucked up. <laughs> you have fucked up now. And so I didn't, I didn't want to be too much of a bummer, but I just wanted to have, you know, quick remembrance. I thought Trevor Moore was a really talented guy. Another one of those people that's taken too soon. Um, I know most of all, I was f- just feeling for the fact that, you know, he's got a really young kid that he's leaving behind that going to miss their dad. 
Yeah. And, and, you know, anytime that you had mentioned it, right. Cause there's a lot of sentiment where people have, uh, uh, this idea where it's like, oh, it's a celebrity. You shouldn't be affected by that person's death the same way you'd be affected if you had known them personally. Um, I, I get it, but I also kind of disagree with it because, you know, whether whether it's healthy or not, I'm not going to waste my time arguing. Um, but a lot of us turn to these different celebrities or, you know, comedians, whatever, uh, for, for a multitude of reasons and they kind of like help us escape from whatever so when they do pass it's understandable that um it would it would affect one in such a way where it makes them you know it takes up a part of their day for them to to kind of get over the blues from it um i know me personally one of you had mentioned pretty much all of my favorite sketches the only sketches i would add into there which it's it's pretty fucking controversial, but I thought it was really fucking great. Is the grapist? I don't know if I remember that one. Oh, so basically, like he was making fun of like the Kool Aid, uh, the Kool Aid guy, and he dressed up as uh like a dude in a grape outfit, like think of Fruit of the Loom grapes, right? Mm-hmm. And like he busts through the wall, and he's like, "Watch out, kids! I'm gonna grape you." And, like, he's, like, pitching this to these two people at this fucking meeting. And this one guy's like, why are we saying that we're going to do this product? Like, it sounds like he's wanting to rape the kids. And, and like, the, the one guy who kind of looks like our cousin, he's like, I don't know what you're talking about. This sounds great. I'm on board. <laughs> and then there's a part, dude, that always stood out to me where, like, he's chasing the kids through the hallway. He's like, I'm going to tie you to a radiator and grape you. And it was just... <laughs> Dude, it was just the funniest fucking thing in the world, bro. And, like, he's just sitting there like, what's the problem? I don't see why talking about wanting to grape somebody is so bad. It was it was just fucking hilarious, man. No, there, um, now, that, now that you mentioned that one, I was, I was trying to think of the one where it takes place in the classroom. And they start fucking with that kid telling him that his parents died. <laughs> oh, yeah, dude. Like, there's just... Um, I need to watch that show again. That's all. Yeah, I'm this show is really good. No, um, and it is going to be kind of sad watching it, knowing that you know Trevor passed away way too young, but he left behind a lot of funny shit that us as fans can enjoy and, and take in. For sure. And uh, to to wrap that up, uh, rest in peace, Trevor Moore passed away at the age of forty-one. Um, definitely, comedy has uh, has lost somebody that was very influential, not just to uh, my brother and I, but to, to many comedy fans and comedians alike. And if you if you want to get a sense beyond what we've been talking about and beyond just the whitest kids you know, if you check him out, if you just search for him on Twitter, and you'll see kind of over the weekend a lot of comedians, a lot of people who had worked with him sharing stories or just sharing little stuff they thought about him. I thought it was really, really touching to see the – the people he had influenced and the people who had worked with him in comedy, making sure to, to share their, their memories and their ideas. So I want to make sure we did the same. Dude, wasn't his last tweet something about like Martin Scorsese and uh, what's his name should just fuck already. <laughs> and like, I think that was like the last tweet that he had put out. Yep. Yeah. Cause he was talking about like the superhero shit, like Chris Scorsese had all the criticisms and yeah. <laughs> yeah, dude, it was, it was a fucking killer ass tweet, dude. No, he was oh, definitely man. a fun follow. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I appreciate the opportunity again to talk about something that I that had affected me a little bit, and 
I hope that everybody can find a little bit of enjoyment in the whitest kids, you know, if you hadn't had a chance to check it out before, it's definitely worth it. And last but not least, Hirsch, we don't have to spend too much time on this. I know it's probably already getting late and, but we did want to talk a little bit about the upcoming NFL season. I know it's a weird transition there from, you know, comedy person who passed way too soon to talking about something like the NFL, but want to talk a little bit about the upcoming NFL season. We have the preseason coming up. They already played the hall of fame game. You have hard knocks premiering on HBO with the Dallas Cowboys. So it's football season is just around the corner. And if you hadn't guessed before, based on the topics that Hirsch and I had covered, we're Green Bay Packers fans. So not only do we want to talk a little bit about that, you can definitely skip forward if you want to, but we're going to talk a little <laughs> bit about the NFL overall, besides just the Packers, even though that's Hirsch and I's main focus and probably expertise. I wanted to talk a little bit about the upcoming NFL season since I know a lot of people aren't as interested in baseball and the stuff I might be. So I figured more of an overall topic, Hirsch. Um, big news, of course, is that Aaron Rodgers was back as a Packer for at least this season. They worked his deal to maybe free up some money, give him more certainty over where he will spend. It basically made it so that it's two-year contract with a third year voided. So in all likelihood, it will be easier for him to either leave or be traded after this season. But they're bringing it back for, you know, the last dance like him and Devonta had both um, posted about. And not only that, but he was able to get the Packers to bring back Randall Cobb for like a six round pick or some other pittance. Um, but yeah, everything is seemingly right back in Green Bay, but it also creates really high expectations. Well, High expectations on two fronts. You have high expectations from the fan base from the front office, right? Because they had to do a lot of moving around, uh, whether it be with the cap or with personnel. Um, and then uh, with the with the players, especially somebody like Aaron Rodgers, who um, made it very evident that he was not happy with the way that things were being handled. And let's just be honest. Um, he has every right to be upset about the things that he had listed in that press conference when he came back. Um, I think uh, if you are an Aaron Rodgers, a Devontae Adams, a Mercedes Lewis, a Zadarius Smith, um, this definitely is the last dance because not just Green Bay Packers, but teams across the NFL – are going to be getting hit seriously with uh, with the salary cap uh, going into next year, the Packers especially, um, just because the way that they had to move everything around. Now, some teams elected to take the brunt end of the salary issues due to COVID uh, this offseason, but there are a majority of teams out there who kind of did what the Packers did and said, hey, let's take uh, some of that guaranteed money um, and, and put it into a uh, signing bonus. So that way it doesn't necessarily affect the, uh, the cap the same way. So it's, it's definitely all hands in. I think green Bay, uh, it, the, the thing that I don't get is that there's definitely been a roster overhaul, but the, the overhauls on offense, which there have been times where the offense does look pitiful, but Anybody who watches the Packers will tell you they need a fucking defense. They, you have Aaron Rodgers, you have Aaron Jones, you have Devontae Adams, you have 
MVS, who had, like, the most yards per fucking catch and most, like, touchdowns for 20 yards plus, right? You don't need – and Robert Tunyon, who's one of the top 10 tight ends in the league. You don't need any more weapons. What more weapons do you need? What more justification do you need? Um, well, I, I take your point. I, I agree, but I know people who are always kind of arguing about – the point of view that Rogers had and from an outside perspective is that they don't have enough weapons that, you know, they've, they've been making all these draft picks on defense while ignoring the wide receiver core, you know, the big draft pick, that kind of thing. But I tend to agree Hurst that the problem has, has not been on that side of the ball. You had a MVP season from Rogers last year. You had Devontae Adams emerge as the best wide receiver in football. Aaron Jones kind of had a down year compared to the year before, but I think his, his, he had a couple injuries, but also they wanted to manage his his carries a lot more because he is one of those guys that gets banged up a lot. So, yeah, the, the improvement definitely needs to come from the defensive side of the ball. They have a new defensive coordinator in Joe Barry that's coming in, so maybe we'll see some change with that. They made another high draft pick on a cornerback. Hopefully you don't see a repeat of the Kevin King experience, even though they brought him back for God knows why. Or even um, the Josh Jackson experience where we don't ever get to see the fucking guy play. Yeah, well, and, you know, there, you got to wonder there's got to be a reason for that, that we're not seeing in practice and that kind of thing. But that's beside the point. I, I do think that you're going to see a big leap from guys like uh, Sean Gary, even more than he made last year, which I thought he made a big improvement in his second year compared to his first. I think he's one of those guys that's primed for, for reaching, you know, like if not Pro Bowl, you know, like all pro kind of aspirations. You have maybe the top cornerback in football right now in Jair Alexander, or I wouldn't say top, maybe top three. If he can hold on to the fucking ball and intercept the ball more often, he will be in that top spot. So I think there's definitely stuff to work with. Like you said, you have Zadarius Smith, who is on the wrong side of 30, but he's still a guy who can be an impact player. So there definitely is room for improvement on that side of the ball, and that's really where it's going to come down to. They've been to the NFC Championship game two years in a row now. Um, probably last year had their best overall team since at least 2014 when they got beat by the Seahawks in the NFC championship in that horrible fucking onside kick game. So I, I do wonder if last year was their best opportunity and they just didn't quite take advantage against the Buccaneers or if like Aaron Rodgers and them are saying, you know, we need to come back one more time because we have it in us to do this again. I do think that puts a lot of expectations on, on the team and Aaron Rodgers. I mean, if they don't perform to the level they did last year or better, I think it has to be called a disappointment. Yeah. Now, and look, if you, and that, if you don't that sounds least, spoiled. It does, but that's that's a mentality that they've instilled. Um, I think that, like you said, if, if you don't at least get to the Super Bowl this year, it's a disappointment. Absolutely. And it, it's and, and and at that point, right? I know a lot of Packers fans might get upset saying this, but at that point, where it's three years in a row now, you can't get to the Super Bowl with the best wide receiver, the best offensive lineman, and Bakhtiari and uh, Jenkins. Um, yeah. yeah, the question my, at that point becomes, you know, especially with Aaron Rodgers' performance in the last couple of championship games. It, was that always the issue is not having enough weapons or were they just not able to ever get over that hump anyway? Exactly. So I, I, mean, I, I, 
I was just going to say, because the thing that kind of pisses me off about a lot of Packers fans is like the NFC Championship game against Tampa Bay, right? The scapegoat is Kevin King. And I get it, right? You don't give up a fucking touchdown right before um, halftime, letting the guy behind you. Yeah. And then, and then obviously he gets burned later on towards the end of the game. And that hurt, but. I think it's complete bullshit to try to say that Kevin King was the complete reason the Packers lost that game because Aaron Rodgers had multiple times where he could have fucking marched down that field and he could have fucking got them within scoring range. But what did he do? Held on to the ball too long and took a sack, threw the ball out of bounds, overshot his last fucking throw. He overthrew Devontae Adams by 10 or 15 yards. Yeah, no. MVS was really the only offensive player to show up and play. Exactly, and that was the guy that Packers fans were saying they needed to get rid of. So I think, I, I think ultimately, if Green Bay wants to succeed, don't get me wrong, you need the ball in Aaron Rodgers' hands, but I think you need output from, like you had mentioned, you need output from Rashawn Gary. Without a doubt, he needs to have. Um, even though he had a great season last year, he needs an even better one. And from what I'm seeing and hearing in camp, it's looking like he's going to do that. Um, Jair Alexander, like you had mentioned, he has problems holding on to the ball. He has great ball instinct, but he just can't hold on to it. If he's able to hold on to like one or two of those deflections he usually gets, without a doubt, is going to be a, a game changer. Now, the thing that I'm looking for uh, this upcoming season Eric Stokes to see how they use him, not just on the defensive side, but also the special teams because of his speed. But I want to see how they use him with maybe uh, nickel formations. But the other corner that they had drafted, Shamar Jean Charles, I am really interested to see what he's able to do because he's a big body. He's very physical and he had led his conference in deflections. Um, I think it was for one or two years uh, or two years in a row, rather. Sorry. So that those are two things I'm looking forward to on the defensive side. And then on the offensive side, I'm really excited about Kylan Hill. Um, it's looking like he is most likely to uh, get the third spot for running back over Dexter Williams, who I thought had kind of uh, been making enough enough noise to be uh, to be on the team this year. But they have a lot of roster spots that are being taken up. And I think that uh, Kylan Hill um Again, off of what I've been seeing and hearing from different reports, he looks like he belongs, seventh round steal. I think it's going to be interesting to see what he does. And then I really, really want to see what Amari Rodgers is about. Yeah, he's going to be fun to watch. And, you know, A.J. Dillon's another one of those guys who I think is primed to break out on the offensive side. And But what I'm really going to keep my eye on is, is Hirsch, you mentioned it a little bit and what you are talking about. And I think it'll help both the defense take that next step and the offense a little bit is an improved special teams. If they can get a competent return game, not even a great return game, just something that isn't terrible, but also a better overall special teams. I think that'll help your team even more than we could think. But you know, that's the, that's been the story in green Bay for at least the last 10 years is, you know, can we get a competent special teams? And it hasn't happened yet. No. I think the last time that Green Bay actually had like a good return game was like what the Allen Rossum did it. Like, was that it? Yeah, Alan probably. Rossum? Like the Allen Rossum, like really the last great special teams 
unit was probably like the 96, 97 Packers with Desmond Howard. Desmond Howard, Chris Jackie, fucking yeah. yeah. Like, but I mean, the Packers have always had great kickers for the most part, but the punt game has been really bad. The return game, the kickoff coverage, like that's the kind of stuff that hasn't quite worked. And I do think the Packers are, are you know, not hands down, but pretty clear division favorites. Uh, I do see a little bit of a surprise maybe from the Bears happening where they're able to finish second over a team like maybe the Vikings catching by surprise. What about the Lions, dude? You ain't got no faith? I was jokingly saying at at your party that the Lions were going to win the division. Uh, (laughs) Obviously, that was tongue-in-cheek. I do think they'll be somewhat improved. I I, I think it'll be hard not to, but I, I don't think Jared Goff is the answer for sure. No, not at all. But I will say, I think that the Lions were able to uh, to pick up a steal in Jamal Williams. Oh, and he's a great teammate and a great presence. One of those guys that's fun to watch. I'll be rooting for him for sure. Yeah, but I, I also I'm, I'm sketchy ahead. on their I'm sketchy on their head coach choice. He seems kind of like uh, the great like I'll send you a great football quote, but I really don't know what the hell I'm doing kind of thing. Talk about like biting players' kneecaps off and shit like that. He's just kind of a weird guy. Yeah, uh, I think Dan Campbell is his name. Yeah, he, he seems like too old school for me. But watch, I'll be completely wrong, and the Vikings will win the whole fucking division because I do. Guys like Jefferson are really good. I just don't have much faith in, in Cousins. No, and I mean the Vikings—they always—they kind of have the Wisconsin curse where first half of the season they look good and then they fall apart second half. No, and they've kind of been trying to rebuild that defense. We've got a lot of injuries, a lot of turnover in the secondary. So we'll see if this is the year they can actually compete with the Packers again or if it's another down year and a team like the Bears or or maybe even the Lions is able to take second place. Um, I think the team overall in that conference, though, that you still have to respect is the team that won it all last year, and that's the Buccaneers because they had a pretty young team, great overall defense. The only guy who is really old is their quarterback, Tom Brady, who apparently doesn't fucking age. And you kind of have to see them as the favorite again. Without a doubt. So I didn't know, Hirsch, if there was anybody else in the NFC, whether it's in the division or outside of the division, besides the Buccaneers that you kind of had your eye on. You know, honestly, the NFC, it's always so hard because you have a team like Philadelphia who in the offseason looks really, really good. And then preseason happens, and like no one's there anymore. <laughs> so well, they were they were a fucking disaster last year. That whole NFC East was terrible, right? Yeah. You had the Eagles basically tanking it, pulling their their competent backup, and putting in like Nate Sudfield or whatever the fuck it was. Um, we'll see if the Cowboys can bounce back with with maybe a healthy Dak because he got injured again, but most likely he'll be ready for the season. Um, I think the Cowboys are one of those teams maybe to keep an eye on just with the fact that they had a pretty good offense last year when they weren't playing well, though it was pretty apparent that there were some problems. I don't know if that can be blamed on Mike McCarthy or if that's inherent in the team that he kind of has around him. But I think the Cowboys, if they can, if they can stay healthy and play smart football, which they're not able to do a lot of the time, you know, I hate that cliche, but you can definitely tell by watching that Cowboys game that they're not playing it that you know that's a team that can be dangerous if they're if they're playing the right way. Yeah, I think 
I think when it comes to NFC, uh, you always have to mention a team like the Cowboys. Um, but truth be told, besides besides the Cowboys, um, and maybe maybe uh, Atlanta, maybe it's always so hard to tell with them too. Yeah, like it's a it's a new era in New Orleans. Right, you have no more Drew Brees. Yeah. Um, Carolina is doing a complete rehash at QB, where they brought in uh, Sam Darnold from the Jets. I think Tampa Bay is going to run away with that division. I, I think it's just a matter of if anybody else can even put up a fight. Um, in the East, I think Washington Football Team has a really good defense. They've got a lot of good young pass rushers. That's what happens when you're able to pick, you know, in the top five for however many years is you are able to get some talented guys. So we'll see if they can make any noise, but I really think that the division to watch as far as the top couple teams is the West, where you have the Seahawks, Niners, and the Rams, and maybe the Cardinals if they're able to get their shit together, but I doubt it. But I I think that division, almost like uh, baseball, the NL West, is going to be a fun three-team race. I don't like to – I'm going to be honest, man. That's where my – my partisan kicks in. I don't like to talk about the NFC West. I fucking despise all those teams. Oh, no, like, like there's a reason to despise them. But I, I think the Niners, if they're able – because they had so many injuries last year. Yeah. And, and no, we dude, saw that – Honestly, I'm actually disappointed that, I didn't think of them. We saw in that NFC Championship game the year before, the Niners are a dangerous fucking team. Yeah. And I, I think if they're able to come back healthy, George Kittle is probably the second most talented tight end in the NFL. If he has anything close to a competent quarterback play, he, he is scary to watch. I think if that defense is healthy with uh, Bosa coming back, I think that's going to be a fun team. Um, Seattle, you can never count out because every time I do, they fucking bite me in the ass. Yep. And I think the Rams with Stafford are going to be improved. I mean, I could be wrong, but I think Stafford was one of those guys who was always in a bad situation. The games I saw him play against the Packers always showed me that was a talented dude on the under, other end of the football. Maybe I was just seeing that because the Packers were so not talented on defense, but whatever you want to say, I always like Stafford, and I think he's going to improve that team. No, I could see that. I, I mm, Out of all those teams, I definitely think San Francisco is obviously the favorite. The thing I like about San Francisco, if I do have to give them a compliment, which I hate doing, there's such a, it's such a fucking cliche term that gets thrown around, but they're a team that has a lot of swag to them. They're young, they're hungry, and they're proven. So anytime that you have that combination, it's dangerous. Well, and, and speaking of swag, with the Rams too, you have Aaron, Aaron Donald, who is the best defensive player by far in the NFL. And I think anytime you have him, that you have a pretty darn good chance of, of winning on a game-to-game basis. And so I, I do see Stafford is improving that team. I don't know if it'll be good enough to win that division, which is much talent is that you have to play against, like we were mentioning with the Niners and the Seahawks. But it's going to be fun to see. Um, so I don't know. I'm not going to necessarily make us pick like division winners or anything like that, Hirsch, but it, besides the Packers, if we were to, to put them aside, who do you see coming out? Or I know, throw the Packers in there if you want. Um, I think based off of what I've seen so far, 
it's going to be another um, Tampa Bay, Green Bay, NFC uh, championship game. I think that the only other teams that uh, are going to be in the mix, San Francisco, Seattle might be in there. But like I said, something tells me uh, Atlanta might be able to fucking surprise some people this season. You think so, even with uh, with the old man at QB, Matt Ryan? Yeah, I think so. I think uh, I think people are people sleep on them way too much, and 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 I get it, right? They're they're very inconsistent. They can't win games that they should. But who knows? Maybe they've done enough this off season to bring in a new uh, mentality. Well, it's a the NFL is different from the other sports leagues. You can make that dramatic year to year turnaround. So. If any team is primed to do it, maybe it is Atlanta. And I think it'll just be a fun NFC to see. I do agree, Hirsch. It's likely to come down to a, a rematch of last year. Um, with the caveat being that we don't know what the fuck we're talking about. It's August. We're just nope. throwing shit out there. Um, but all injuries aside, you know, God willing that everybody makes it through. I think it's going to be a repeat of what we saw last year. With maybe the caveat of, like I said, seeing an improved Niners and Rams squad that's able to kind of shake some things up. Then you have, and uh, the other conference, I think the clear favorites over there are the, again, a repeat of last year where Kansas city, I think if, if you have any inkling for, for watching fun offensive football, Kansas city is where it's at. Um, I don't, I don't think you can count out any team with that, with that triumvirate on offense of Mahomes, Kelsey and Tyreek Hill. They, they had an improved defense last the last couple of years compared to what they had before. They had an uh, improved running game. They had a couple of injuries that kind of hurt them on the offensive line last year, and they still made the fucking Super Bowl. Yep. I was just going to say, like, injuries aside, they've still pulled it out somehow. Yeah, and so you have them. You have teams like the Bills last year who made a run of it with, uh, with Josh Allen playing some really inspired quarterback play. You hopefully have an improvement from a team maybe like the Ravens who kind of took a step back last year, it seemed like. Um, the Browns maybe can make that step. We're always expecting it, but it never seems to happen. But I we, I, I think I'm a little bit more expertise on the NFC just because of the, the fans that we are. You know, being Packers fans, we tend to know those teams a little bit better. But in the AOC, Hirsch, uh, I know we talked about the Chiefs and a couple other teams, but, but what's going to stand out to you as far as, as what's going to come out of that situation? Um, I think with the AFC, uh, the the team that I'm looking at is Buffalo. I think you have uh, Josh Allen, who has he's had some very high moments, and he's also had some very low moments. You have a front office that seems to almost be as hungry as the players right now for wanting to change. There's all these rumors coming out that. Uh, Buffalo is saying, hey, if you guys don't start fucking getting our stadium upgraded and start doing this shit, we want out. Um, so I think it's very evident that that Buffalo, I think they're kind of all in. That's the team I'm looking for in the AFC. Um, obviously, you're always going to have your favorites. Like you said, you're going to have your, your Kansas City's. Um, Pittsburgh is a team that for whatever fucking reason, seems like they can never die and just go away. Uh, yeah, good point. I, I 
like I said, out of out of all those teams, because like I, I don't really care too much for the AF, AFC. I, I kind of see like the NFC West is my AFC. Um, yeah, I think ultimately the only team that I'm really looking for uh, would be Buffalo, just because I kind of like I've always liked Buffalo. Um, they're fucking crazy out there. Uh, but it's it's a blue collar team. Buffalo, the Buffalo team reminds me basically of like Green Bay, New York. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, and, and Buffalo is going to be a fun team to watch. Hopefully, um, Stephon Diggs is a great wide receiver. I know, I believe Micah Hyatt is still playing in their secondary. Yep. So it's definitely a fun team to check out. And I do think that, you know, AFC seems a little bit more uh, lopsided as far as dominant teams at the top, where you have like the Chiefs, the Bills, probably the Ravens, the Browns, a couple other teams maybe in that mix being. Uh, who can I say? Maybe the Colts, if they can pull shit out with Carson Wentz, but I doubt it because they have a good team besides him. But I'll kind of be surprised if it's anybody but the Chiefs or the Bills. Yeah, I I don't I don't see anything else um, coming out of that league now. Now, personally, I just want to quickly say I think it's bullshit these new rules that the NFL is coming out with with the anti taunting. Oh, the taunting shit! That is such nonsense. Um. Look, man, what what's killing the sport isn't fucking taunting and all this other shit. What's killing the sport is inconsistency, uh, mismanagement, and um, the failure to protect your employees. Um, a lot of people have this mentality that people stop watching the NFL because they kneel for the flag, brother. Um which there might be some people who did it because of that, but you know, a lot of people I've talked to who stopped watching the NFL, a lot of it's because it's like I just don't want to see people fucking getting banged up to where they can't walk in five years anymore. Mm-hmm. Like it's just not for me. And it's I, I get it. Part of the reason I stopped watching wrestling is because for a very long time you had people like Vince McMahon who we're literally having people sacrifice their lives, their bodies for no compensation and no fucking help once they were done. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I think I think that's one thing I'm hopeful over the next couple seasons that I, I, obviously there's something the fan base can do about it, but uh, the mentality overall in the league starts getting shifted and people separating about these stupid aesthetics about you know taunting and promotion of fairness like who fucking cares yeah it's a, it's another weak way for the nfl to represent itself as the no fun league exactly yeah it's unfortunate that's what they're starting to focus on with all the interesting personalities that are around the nfl that you're going to just try to hold them e- hold them in even more just when we were starting to see a lot of excitement out in the field come back with the idea that we're going to have fans back this year. Well, it's like, you know, I, I wish these fucking executives realized, like, you know, we have people like Elon Musk and shit now. If we wanted to watch robots playing fucking football, we could just get one of those rich bastards to start making them for us. Like, we, mm-hmm. we are watching people, not robots. No, and, and having that personality come out, I think, is a good thing. And it, it's too bad they want to stifle any of that from coming out instead. Um, we're not going to do like a silly Super Bowl preview or, or pick or anything like that. Like I said, we just wanted to talk a little bit about, about what we thought was going to be coming up this season and, and some of the stuff we found interesting. 
not going to make you pick like MVP rookie of the year and all that kind of shit. Cause we just don't know all that projection stuff out there is fun to speculate on, but who knows your guess is as good as mine. You never yeah, know this who's going to get ESPN. You know yeah. Mean? No. And I, I always think of what Aaron Nagler says on cheese at TV. Like, you know, nobody knows it's a long season. Enjoy it. Yep. Um, but for those listening still, we're interested who are some of the players or some of the teams you're looking forward to seeing this year. Um, are you a Ravens fan? Do you wish that Ray Lewis could murder somebody else and come back on the team and be like, you know, eight years younger? Uh, talk to us. Tweet at us. Let us know uh, who you like, what what person in training camp has you excited, because I know for a lot of us sport heads, um, even people who aren't necessarily sportheads because things like COVID, whatever, we are fucking itching for entertainment. We need something in our lives. And football is literally right around the corner. So I'm interested to hear. Hopefully I hear back from y'all. Yeah, and if you're a fan of a poor team like the Texans where your quarterback is probably a rapist and sexual assaulter, but it's also just a terrible team, I feel bad for you. Reach out. We can – We can. Uh, we can try to help you. We're here for you. Maybe we can convert you to being a Green Bay fan. Yeah. Yeah, we're always looking for for people to jump on the wagon, right? Exactly. Because you know what? All that all that sexual assault stuff, that was left in the Mark Chimura, Brett Favre days. Yeah, I was going to say, right? Like, we have room to talk when it comes to that shit. Yeah. No, we've evolved, man. We've evolved. Or at least I'd like to think so. Hopefully. I'd like to think so. God, I hope it doesn't come out that Aaron Rodgers is like Brett Favre 2.0. Fucking A, dude. Turns out he's a fucking pedo. Dude. God damn it. Now I'm going to go on a YouTube rabbit hole trying to find out. He's part of QAnon. I got the fucking truth right here, brother. NFL stars are the real pedo ring files, I'll tell you right. Rodgers and Kaepernick are involved in Pizzagate. <laughs> When they said they wanted 52 footballs ordered, they was really talking about children. Oh, my God. Yeah, I don't know, man. Uh, but that, that all being said. Uh, yeah, I think we're probably love. at the end here, right, where we're talking about crazy shit. Yeah. yeah. Uh, much love and appreciation to everybody who's been listening up to this point. Uh, appreciate everybody being understanding about the Operation Condor episode, which will be coming next week on Tuesday. If all uh, is done under the prowess of our Lord and Savior Bacon. Yeah, and then uh, probably want to mention that not this Tuesday, but the upcoming Tuesday, we're probably going to be taking that episode off to recover from uh, from the fun event, right? Yep. Yep, because it's coming up soon. Yeah, so just let everybody know, not this next Tuesday, but the Tuesday after, we're just going to take a one-week hiatus. Coming right back to it, but uh, Hirsch has a major life event going on that weekend, and so we're just going to make sure to enjoy it, and uh, yeah, we'll be back after. But you still will get us next week. Still going to get an episode, but on behalf of Stu and myself, thank you again for listening, for supporting. Make sure that you retweet this episode when it is posted, otherwise I will come to your house and I will fucking throat punch you. Much love, everybody. Peace.